0: Welcome to Between the Covers, the show for readers and writers and lovers of books. I'm Stephanie, and I'm a publisher at Red Penguin Books, where we publish books of all types and genres. So whether you have a book in your head, something that you have on your computer, or maybe even 300 sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, visit us at redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. And yes, at least once a season, I do get an envelope filled with hundreds of pieces of loose leaf. It happens, it was happening monthly. It's starting to cut down to once a season, but it's still happening. Uh, wow. I'm thrilled that I'm joined today by three authors who have definitely unleashed themselves. Lolly Davidson is the author of Beyond Sight, certainly not her first rodeo, but you're going to hear all about this book so timely for October. Catherine Minette is the author of Runaway from Home. It is book one of the Runaway from Home series and also, I believe, her first book. And Rick Bobrick is the author of Anything You Want, Davy Crockett and the Grizzly Bear, a not so ordinary story. But first, we're going to meet Lolly Davidson and our author writes of Beyond Sight. In scenic Saratoga Springs, where the past and present collide, dark secrets awaken and the ghosts of capitalism wreak havoc on the young. Julie Sykes, a young woman with long repressed supernatural powers and is inexplicably drawn to the enigmatic Damien Quinn. But when a malignant spirit possesses him, she must unlock her powers to save him. It all begins innocently enough when Julie and Damien explore an abandoned Victorian house built by a wealthy black farming family during the Gilded Age. Now slated for suburban renewal, the house mysteriously resists demolition. Little do Julie and Damien know that their actions will awaken vengeful spirits and set off a chain of events with dire consequences. As they fight for survival using a blend of energy work and quantum mechanics, they unwittingly unleashed the powers of Henry Hilton, a dead white millionaire who came to his fortune by sinister means and scandalized the country when he banned Jews from his Grand Union Hotel in 1877 in Saratoga. Meanwhile, no one will tell Julie how her father died or why she can't find any pictures of him. Will Julie succeed in saving Damien before he kills someone? Will she discover the cause of her father's death? Or will they both be consumed by the relentless forces that haunt them? Luminous and heart-poundingly suspenseful, Beyond Sight traces how the ongoing struggle between the privileged and the marginalized haunts us to this day on both the physical and spiritual planes is welcome author Lolly Davidson. So excited to have you here today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: And I do love, love, love that book description. I really do. That's uh Thank you. It's like, it's like a, a, a mini series on its own. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I have to ask you first because I happen to know some of what gone, has gone on in your life. Um, This, this Victorian home was slated for uh, revitalization and you just lost a whole lot of trees to revitalization, didn't you?
1: Well, kind of. Right behind my house, I had a little, uh, an empty lot of like thirty black locust trees, and they were huge. They were like sixty feet tall, and they were. It was lovely, and it was a great um, screen between me and the Price Chopper, the big, you know, grocery store, only two blocks from my house. You, but you wouldn't have known that I was only two blocks away from there. And then the guy who owned it. I mean, imagine him thinking he could do whatever he wanted with his own property. Decided to cut them all down to sell them to sell the property, um, and so that was devastating. You know, they um, they they cut those trees down in a day and a half, and suddenly I have the price chopper in my backyard. So that that happened in April. So my husband and I just got to work and started planting trees like crazy. We just <laughs> so you can't see the price chopper from my backyard anymore. Ooh glad to hear that but you yeah. know it's funny. when i was thinking about uh
0: changes oh, because of revitalization i said oh no does does lolly have spirits in her
1: backyard also <laughs> you know though i had a very cool thing happen so three years ago or three or four years ago i was kind of feeling down about writing i kind of was giving up and i was walking in a park near my hometown in my hometown um and i a little owl came and landed in a tree right above me and we started to hoot back and forth i mean and it's really odd because you know owls are kind of shy that way it's not every day you have a conversation with an owl and i i decided well owl's wisdom you know maybe this is like a blessing like you should write and so uh Last night, I was sitting there uh, in my kitchen, and I hear this very strange sound. I'm like, what is that? And I run out, and I grab my Merlin app that's on my phone, which I can never open in time to catch, and it was a a screech owl that was in my mulberry tree, which is, I have this big mulberry tree in my backyard, which is kind of a magical tree, because it, it always loses its leaves on the same, you know, on one day. There's always one day a year where all the leaves fall down and we all go running out to watch it and film it. So I felt like, ah, you know, I'm about to release this book and there's that owl visiting me in the backyard. Wow. Okay.
0: I have to ask, what is the Merlin app?
1: Oh, it's a bird recognition app that you can like, you can open it up on your phone. If you hear that, you know, you hear a bird and, and you can press sound recording and it will quickly record the sound and then identify it. Yeah. And also it plays these really beautiful, I mean, it shows you what the sound looks like on a, you know, graph. So it's also quite beautiful. <laughs> I wow. love it.
0: Oh, I didn't yeah. know that there was a bird screech identifier.
1: Oh yeah, there's bird app uh, identifiers, plant app identifiers, insect identifiers. It's really fun. I,
0: I, I've seen the plant ones. I actually tried that because I was trying to figure out if, if something in my yard was friend or foe. And <laughs> <laughs> I pulled up that plant one, but a bird one, that's super cool. So, so the owl the first time, uh, wisdom bestowed on you and you fortunately decided to keep writing.
1: Yeah, to keep writing, right, so yeah, it's really nice to have a, a little omen like that, you know. I
0: like that, I like that, and as a writing teacher, I'm sure sometimes your students don't want to write either. Do you do you hide an owl in your classroom?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I have little tricks for them. I have a wonderful bowl of, um, I bought these little um, semi-precious stone chips, Mm-hmm. And I just put them in a stone bowl, and they sit by my desk. And I bring those in for writing prompts sometimes. And uh, and then if they really become attached to their rocks, they get to keep them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like so, that. I
1: try to inspire them.
0: I love that. I love that. So, what inspired? beyond sight if it wasn't the loss of your trees did you uh did you have some kind of a uh, an interesting looking Victorian house in your neighborhood and you kept passing it and saying uh there's a backstory to that one or, or what what actually started that
1: well you know at first you know when I was a, when I was a kid my, my my grandmother lived with us and I was close to her and she died when I was 10 and I really missed her terribly I wanted her to come back as a ghost and she didn't. Um, but that was when I became interested in ghosts as a kind of a comforting thing. So I always kind of loved ghost stories. Um, but yes, there's a number of Victorian houses. I mean, of course, uh, Serto is known for its beautiful Victorian houses. And, you know, it was, it's been a, it was a, it's been sort of a destination, a tourist destination for hundreds of years, starting from even, you know, before the colonial settlers, because it has these healing springs. There was a, There's a fault line that goes down the center of Saratoga Springs, so you know there's a higher part and a lower part, and so these springs, these evanescent springs, come up to the um, surface. And uh, the Native Americans always knew these as healing springs, and so they told the white colonial settlers about it. And of course, Gideon Putnam immediately built like a you know building over the springs so that he could control them. (laughs) Um, You know how white people are. And uh, and then it became this, this destination for tourists. And then, you know, in the kind of 1870s to 90s was like, I just learned by going on a ghost tour recently that there were as many as 10,000 hotel rooms in Saratoga Springs in the 1880s. There's not even 10,000 hotel rooms today in Saratoga Springs. So, um, you know, you always see, there are some Victorian houses that people have tried to let rot to the ground, so that because they're historic and they, they're not allowed to tear them down. But if they let them rot down, then they can put up something more profitable. Um, and then there's always people trying to save them. So that's kind of an ongoing battle. Um, and then through my kind of activism work, I learned that there's not far from where I live. I live in an area that's kind of an old Italian neighborhood, used to be an old Italian. Before that, it was an old Irish neighborhood. Uh, before that, it was an old Black neighborhood. And the the Black neighborhood was kind of a thriving um down little downtown with shops and things and of course again the city council sometime in the 70s said you know we need to do some urban renewal and 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 tear down all these black homes and uh put some shopping plazas in and that's common that happens all over the country so that i began to think about that for my ghost <laughs> novel and then i i do a lot of walking in the north woods which is um Skidmore College has these beautiful woods that you can walk through that's all along the fault line. And it was very inspiring to me. And there's some strange structures in the woods. Like there's this big well, or it looks like a well, like a big round circular um, structure. And I sort of investigated the history. And it turns out that that property was owned by a man named Henry Hilton, who is not related to the Hilton the Hotel Hilton family and he was a young lawyer in the 1870s and he uh, started to work for one of the richest men in America at that at that time was um, A.T. Stewart who was like third like there were the Astors and the Vanderbilts and then him he had started the first um, department store so this Stewart and his wife had had two children who died and they were sort of heartbroken and when they met this young scottish lawyer they kind of fell in love with him in a way and he became like their surrogate son and when stewart died he left uh the businesses in hilton's control and then the wife just signed them all over to him so he came into the entire fortune so he came up to saratoga springs and he built six lavish mansions in the area where skidmore now is and then he squandered his money. He just was very ostentatious. He got uh, known for driving around on, in carriages with men with tri-corner hats and bugles, and um, he had racing dogs and race tracks, and just all kinds of um, lavish entertainment. And uh, he squandered all his money. He had almost nothing left when he died. And then his houses were tied up in legal battles. So nobody moved into them and they just sat there empty, these lavish, they were silk paneled and everything. They were looted, they burned down, they were vandalized and eventually burned down from grass fires, all of them. So I was like, oh, and then I discovered that this guy, A.T. Stewart, somebody (laughs) stole his body. And I thought, what? This is too good to be true, this story. Like, this has got to go in my book. So that's where it all came from.
0: Wow. Okay. First of all, you should be like the Saratoga Springs historian or something. <laughs> I mean, wow, I've been up there several times, knew none of that. And now I'm, I, I, I want to go up there again and take the uh, Lolly Davidson tour.
1: Yeah, oh, well, actually, I did sign up. I did actually ask the guy, ghost tour guy. I was like, "You, do you need other tour guys?" He was like, "I do." I said, "So ooh. we're going to start in the spring." Yeah. All right.
0: Okay. When when you're ready, you tell me. I've been on one ghost tour in my life. It was in New Orleans, and um, what they did was we also stopped at pubs along the way, and part of our our oh. was that we got free hurricanes at each pub. I'm sure it was part of. Oh New no. All- <laughs> And certainly, <laughs> the more hurricanes you drink, the more ghosts you will see. <laughs>
1: That's a great idea.
0: <laughs> it's terrific, So yes a little bit more and do the unlimited drink package.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, um, okay. I'll work on it.
0: <laughs> I, I love all of that. I'm so glad we're recording this because honestly, I love the tie-in with um on two fronts, one with, with your, your 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 place that you live and how that influenced this book. I mean, mm-hmm. my goodness, this should be like selling. I mean, I know that you have book signings up in Saratoga Springs, but really, I we should totally push the Saratoga Springs thing. I'm loving that. But mm-hmm. I also love just, uh, I know that you are a creative writing professor, but uh, you know how I always love for authors to inspire other authors and really, your, your explanation so inspires people who say, I don't know what to write about. I mean, truly, the world is just filled with ideas. You just need to open your eyes. And there you are um, on a walk through the Skidmore um, campus and seeing, you know, what goes on uh, politically and construction-wise in your town and, and different things. And next thing you know, we have Beyond Sight. I think that that's just Fabulous. Fabulous! Thank you. So, uh, so I'm I'm dying to know what's going to come next for you because you do manage to find um, pieces of things all over the place, and inspiration is just just about everywhere. There is yeah. there is no stone unturned with you as far as inspiration <laughs> goes. Uh, our next author has a very different inspiration uh, than than some ghosts. These are. I don't real-life ghosts. Um, Catherine Minette uh, wrote Runaway Home, and our author writes, Peter and Haley are two young adults who are set to age out of Long Island's foster care system together. It's an exciting time for the two, and life should be fun without rules and the watchful eye of a foster parent. However, with the news of their foster mother's terminal illness, Peter has decided to adopt Danny, a 13 year old boy also in her care. Now Peter's life isn't the same. The three must continue to live together in a new apartment. Peter hopes he has created the perfect family despite their differences. He soon learns what a tremendous burden he's taken on at the young age of 21. Being the sole breadwinner and a new parent means giving up the opportunity to live a carefree life with Haley. As she continues to struggle with addiction, Haley competes with Danny for Peter's attention and affection. When that seems to fail, she turns to her new boyfriend and opioid dealer, Tristan, to fill that void. Peter and Tristan clash immediately with the prospect of his plans for a perfect family falling apart. Peter begins to hallucinate and flashback to a past he fled on a Scottish island many years ago. Please welcome new author
2: Catherine Minette. So thank excited. you. It sounds so good when you read it. I like <laughs> it,
0: <laughs> and it sounds so good when your readers read it too. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> wow, absolutely. Well, I am so delighted that your creative writing teacher—not Lolly Davidson, but um, but Bill McGee, who happens yeah. to be uh, an author and friend of mine brought you into our circle so congratulations on the book
2: thank you and Bill is amazing yes I'm not sure how much he's told you about our work together but I actually had the idea for this novel back when I was in his creative writing class in 2012 and he's the one that told me it had merit um and from then I didn't pick this book back up until 2020 and when I finished it, I, I found his number. I found all the information on him and I contacted him. I said, I want you to be my editor. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> yeah, fabulous. So we kind of reconnected in 2020 and he's been, he's been great. He's amazing.
0: That's fabulous. And Lolly, that's a hint. I want your your uh, your students with their first books on next so that they could sit here and, and chat. <laughs> yeah. We should have had Bill on the show too so that we could brag about him with him sitting right here. Yeah. <laughs> so so tell us first uh, about inspiration for this very different than walking around Skidmore and seeing uh, old homes this
2: is very right. very different book so, so the, right this is actually very interesting because this morning I just saw a video um I, I don't remember who was speaking but he was talking about how so many of our heroes for example Superman Harry Potter um they all are either from the foster care system or adopted mm. and I was thinking back to being a child and I was in love with the book uh, or the movie, I suppose, can, at that time, and that's actually where the the main character's name comes from, I wanted to bring some of my childhood into that. But my characters are, are totally different than anything you'll see in Harry Potter or Superman, they're very real, um, they go through quite a lot of trauma. Um, and I kind of wanted to take that idea of our heroes coming from, you know, th- this, this hardship or this broken place and, and show real, a real slice of life, what real people in this situation go through, especially after aging out. There's not so many resources for those who are 21 and, and age out and are now on their own learning to, to be an adult without, you know, that fallback of having a family.
0: Right, right. I'm so glad you said that, because that that writing technique of having um, the protagonist be either in the foster care system with these superheroes, or even the way, you know, every single Disney protagonist loses their exactly. mother in the opening scene. Absolutely. That we have some, some sympathy, but you're going beyond that and showing, wow, this is, we, we have this nice
2: kind of glossed over, whether it's Marvel right. or Disney, you're saying there's, no, there's yes. not all roses here right it almost feels like a way that and I I don't I would never poo poo on another author but it feels like a way that oh this is how I'm going to get my my readers my audience to connect with this character because right away we sympathize with them but at the same time all these children's stories are leaving out you know the big issues here and yeah. um, it's something I've seen growing up on Long Island that through work and, and life in general I focus in this book on um in affordable housing, um, addiction, a lot of real life social issues um, that obviously don't only face foster children and those who've aged out, but but plenty of members of our community. So my goal in writing this book was to write an entertaining story that people wouldn't be able to put down, but to also teach them about what's actually going on here in Suffolk County and, and probably I'm sure across our country.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I love the way you wanted to do that through storytelling because yeah. getting people over the head as
2: as we've discovered Ooh. doesn't necessarily change And how my- boring. Right, absolutely. Something engaging is, is so important. And when you, Well, anyone would realize that as a teacher or as a learner, you know, in, in general, like I've always learned through stories and through imagination and, and processing. That's how I process traumatic events in my life. And I feel like my book is an aid um, to help maybe high schoolers, I'm thinking age 16 and above, to, to understand if they've been through anything like that or how they could potentially process trauma as well through a creative outlet.
0: That's amazing. That is so amazing. Well, this is, I don't think I'm wrong. This is your first book. This is number oh, one.
2: I yep. Knew it. I knew it. Okay. <laughs> it like Lolly and Rick who have been to this rodeo before. <laughs> so I'm so, writing number two right now. Um, oh the first my gosh. Book. That's yeah. So this is Runaway Home Tempered is the subtitle. The next one will be Runaway Home Shattered. Okay. The one will be Runaway Home Mosaic. And it'll be um, a three book series once it's completed.
0: Ooh, I love that. I love that definition. Not like I'm trying to write book two. I I'm no, we got
2: oh. titles. We're going <laughs> we'll on the show. I'll be back. I tell everyone these characters in this story have been with me for such a long time. Like I said, as a way, even as a kid, not nothing in here has ever happened to me. I had a great childhood, a very loving family. But just processing trauma, I've always created characters in my head. And I've always, you know, when I learned about something in the news that, that affected me or was traumatic, I always process it through imagination and storytelling. So this is very dear to my heart. I don't take it lightly at all.
0: Fantastic. Well, now that you're enmeshed in book two, is mm-hmm. your process going
2: easier than the first one? Tell me a little sister. This. I would say the process is easier because now I kind of have my footing, but I wrote the first one in 2020 when nothing was going on after work and nothing was going on on the weekends, So I had so much time. Now I'm back to, well, I always, I have an essential job. I always work full-time, but after work, you know, I'm going to the gym again, um, I, I'm on a bowling league. I compete in pageants. I compete in gingerbread competitions, which is coming up. That's giving me a headache just thinking about it. But I have so many ex- extra curricular. I'm not in school, but I have so many fun little things that I like to do in writing. It's definitely a big one but finding the time is always a struggle, but I, I'm over a hundred pages in, so I'm oh, thinking I'd do it by January. Okay, yeah.
0: the only gingerbread I ever made was that kit <laughs> that they sell. Do you know the one yeah. that they sell and you hold the sides up and you put in the frosting?
2: So tell me a little bit about gingerbread competition. Strangely, this also has something to do with my book. Okay. So I do not like to write anything that I do not understand and know well. Um, so I don't want to give too much away from book two, but in book one, you you kind of see it coming. The main character is a baker, and he will um, continue his career path as a baker. So I said to myself, there is no way in heck that I'm going to write about baking and recipes without knowing how to do it. So I started picking up baking as an activity, um, and I've learned a lot over, the, I think I've been doing it for a year and a half. Um, and I mentioned it to one of my coworkers at work, and she told me her daughter is a competitive gingerbread housemaker, and she's been on Food Network, and I'm like, this is crazy. I gotta try this, so me and my coworker do it. We compete against each other, but we, we do it together for fun, and um, so yeah, last year, it was the theme was um, favorite holiday traditions, so I did like a, um, a family game night because me and my family are competitive. We love to play board games and get angry at each other but i made like a scrabble board i made dice i made a jenga tower out of gingerbread it took so long but it was so cool and i think i got people's choice and second place overall and that was my first time so i'm coming back this year (laughs) ready
0: okay so what took longer writing the book or building that gingerbread thing
2: (laughs) probably writing the book because It took more time overall, the gingerbread. I was super focused on it and I finished it in like two weeks. So.
0: <laughs> Gosh, yeah. I couldn't even imagine. I'm loving that you you want to dive in. And this is something I adore. When when people writing their book just like permeates their whole life and it becomes an invention, oh, yeah. they start taking up new hobbies. They go traveling. I love people who go to different locations because their book is set there. So they have to do, uh, I'm going to say research because like, yeah, let's write off that trip to Italy. Sure. Let's do that.
2: Uh, I was just telling my husband because my main character is from Scotland. I'm like, you know, we really have to go to Scotland. I had to have to go to the outer Hebrides. It's for the book. It's not (laughs) for enjoyment. I'm not going to enjoy it.
0: (laughs) I'm a tax attorney, but I'm sure that there's a way to make that work. I don't know if Lolly awesome. took up, you know, uh, seances or or at least got a Ouija board going or something to learn more. But you actually took up competitive jineteing.
2: Gender- <laughs> competitive- yeah, I'm 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 a little insane, but yeah, no, I if my characters have a hobby, I have to not only research it. Sometimes I have to do it myself because then I feel like that's how I I can write about it because I do it because I know it so.
0: Yes, well, I know the, all the great writing teachers of this world, uh, Bill McGee, Lolly Davidson, they all say, write what you know. You're saying, if I don't know it, I'm gonna learn it.
2: I'm gonna learn it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fabulous. Uh, we're we're about to publish a book about Mahjong, the game. And I, I mentioned to the author, do you play? Because you really have to make sure this stuff is correct because players will know and just like with you, yeah. uh, bakers will will see right through your book if you're wrong
2: absolutely i even bought a recipe book that i found online called the hebridian baker and it's about scottish baking and i've been reading that and trying to make the recipes from that so i can can really get into into detail so wow absolutely i think research is so important now, besides the research on the um, extracurricular activities of your characters,
0: um, do you work with people in trauma? You mentioned your, your own childhood, I,
2: is fortunately. Lovely. I do. Um, so I'm a caseworker for adult protective services. So I get referrals on adults who are disabled who are unfortunately either neglecting themselves, being neglected by their caretakers or being abused. Um, and then it is my job to go out and conduct an investigation and create a services plan to to help remedy the situation. So, you know, in my career, I do see um, a lot of very emotional and challenging things. Absolutely, and writing has been a creative outlet for me, but I do have to say everything in my book is fictional. These are not real people. This is not about any real people that I've ever come in contact with.
0: Right, and, and I'm delighted that it wasn't first person that this was you.
2: Oh, no, no, no. Like I said, um, I have used, you know, imagination as a way to cope with my own pain and trauma. But specifically, I wanted to write this book to showcase the inaffordable housing on Long Island as well as we have the the addiction epidemic going on on Long Island as well.
1: We do we do. So they- I, I love that she that you have social issues in your book, and i I agree that uh, storytelling and fiction is a really important way. I think, um you know you know you don't want to proselytize in your writing but you want to give people that lived experience so that they're they connect with compassion to other people in those situations and I think fiction is wonderful for that
2: absolutely I agree I think that that's what I've always wanted to do is is use fiction like I said to not only tell an entertaining story but to to highlight some really important social issues
1: yeah
0: yeah super
2: super important
0: to do that because like I said people are not listening to an article let's say or a headline but they will read for entertainment so what is your plan to get this book into the hands of the people who need to be reading this book
2: well I do have a lot of I guess, live events, I do plenty of readings. Um, I just did one in, in Saville at a little um, independent bookshop called Tiny Raccoon. I did a book signing at Barnes & Noble in Riverhead. They carry my book as well. Um, I actually love beer and breweries. And I, I did an event at a local brewery where if you bought my book, I bought you a beer. So that was a big seller.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, oh, you're the first person who's ever mentioned that. I'm loving that.
2: I'm just very creative. <laughs> and I'll have a drink with you too I'll buy you (laughs) a beer that yeah yeah so that was a lot of fun um where did you do that? Mariches Field Brewery in Santa Mariches it's literally five minutes from my house the owner there is so so kind and when I told him I said I want to do this and I asked him can you name a beer after my book for the day and he's like absolutely and he put a hole on the chart a runaway home tempered beer. it was a specific beer that he made named after my book it was one of the best days of my life
0: <laughs> oh my gosh okay I'm yeah. loving that I'm
2: sorry we're stealing that there are going to be <laughs> please do I've been telling authors I have um it's not a huge following but I have 10,000-ish followers on Twitter and I've been telling authors you got to try this. It's really cool because local breweries are so open to having different events and having different people there. And it's, it's just a really cool, like, circuit for us. Oh, my gosh.
0: I'm a winery girl, so I'm going to want to do this with a winery. That's
2: yeah. <laughs> funny, <just loving> that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm finding my readers through beer that's how I'm... i
1: like that
2: <laughs> i like spirits
1: it's a different kind of spirits right? yeah it's a lolly you're all about spirits in your book i gotta work on that i gotta work on ten thousand followers how on earth did you do that
2: this book i i mean i don't
1: really know so i made this twitter account probably a couple
2: of years ago, but I didn't start using it until I wanted to talk about this book. And I have a very strange sense of humor, but I I do talk a lot about how I promote my book and the process of what it's been like to get a book published, which you all know is like impossible. This is traditionally published. It's not self-published. I didn't want to go that route. Um, I wanted to do traditional, so I stuck through it. It took me three years to get there. But um, I gained a a massive following from um, authors and readers alike because of the solely because of this book. So it's just been a really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I was on the Amazon bestsellers list for um, romance literature in the top 100 for two months. So I I just don't know how this book. Yeah, no. So it's been it's been really crazy. And um, working that Twitter, working that Twitter. (laughs) uh, I'm like. (laughs) You know, I'm always scared. I don't know about everyone else here, but I'm always scared when I see a new review come up on Amazon, I'm like, I'm like do I want to read it? Should I read it? I don't think I should read it, but then I wind up reading it.
0: And I'm like, oh. Yeah, no, that, that's always a big question for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> to read or not to read reviews. Right. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like every actress and whatnot in the world about reading and not reading reviews, not mm. easy but but certainly you are you're spending your time on social media getting the word out that's for sure yeah.
2: oh yeah and i am going to be an event on saturday um it's a gala for the chapters wrap network they're going to be presenting awards to youth heroes and um to, to adults who have made contributions to the community. And I will be getting a Literary Achievement Award there. So I'm so excited and I'll be selling my book. So hopefully when people see me get an award, I'll be like, buy my book. And then they'll run over and buy my books.
0: That's what we hope. That's
2: <laughs>
0: fantastic. Wow. Super Thank inspiring you. for all of us. Now, what's your target for book two?
2: Uh, you you said you're about a hundred pages in? Right. So I already talked to Bill. Um, I told him to expect... The book to be completed in January and of course I need him to read it first he is like editing he made so many suggestions to me that just turned a light bulb I'm like you're right I need to add that or you're right I need to take... he's just amazing so I told him to expect the first draft in January and my publisher I believe we're aiming for April fantastic 2024 okay. yeah
0: Super exciting. I'm sure the brewery will be ready for you. They're always ready for me. I'm there every weekend. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, our our third author might not want to give away beer with every copy of the book. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But in the same vein, we are all about learning a lesson, and I think we have a lot of lessons to be learned from our authors today. Uh, Rick Bobrick is the author of Anything You Want, Davy Crockett and the Grizzly Bear, a not-so-ordinary story. And Anything You Want is a modern-day fable that features Davy Crockett and his furry frenemy, the greedy grizzly bear, a battle of wits quickly unfolds when these two rivals are granted three wishes with no compromise in sight. A break in the fourth wall invites children to become part of a story that explores the wonder of words and the wisdom of wishing, while providing a simple reminder that there is magic all around us, but if only if we believe. Please welcome author. Rick Bobrick, so glad to have you here. Hello, how are you? And, uh, and I know that you are not giving away beer with every purchase. Of uh, your maybe book. juice boxes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you have a lesson to be learned in your book, too. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your book and your family behind your book.
3: Well, uh, anything you want is a follow up <laughs> to my first book. Which also featured Davy Crockett and the Grizzly Bear. It was entitled um, "Bears Don't Share." It was a story I made up over 20 years ago when I was reading books to my kids. And I just, I just recently retired from teaching right before you know COVID hit in June of 19. And uh, I wrote "Bears Don't Share" because my daughter asked me to write the story that she never forgot. And then when I was done with that, I said, "Well, why not write a follow-up?" Uh, The only trouble was I couldn't remember the endings to a few of the stories that I had told them with Davy Crockett and the grizzly bear. So I actually just searched themes and stumbled upon the three wish theme and realized I might have had, might have a new twist on it with uh, two rivals vying for three wishes. And uh, I stuck with sort of the outdoor country theme. I I think it's an interesting genre for. For kids there's not all that much out there it's it's a fun book with a a kind of a message at the end and um, the greedy, the the greed of the grizzly uh, did not get resolved in book one he was uh, he ended still being greedy, and. um, I also thought maybe that needed some resolution and that's what this book does. Uh, the break in the fourth wall was inspired by a friend who read my first book and said, Hey, those words are kind of complicated for little kids. And I said, Well, they're maybe long words, but they have pretty simple meanings. And so I used the fourth wall, the break in the fourth wall, um, to sort of resolve that issue. Uh, so uh, the uh, Davy Crockett ends up actually conversing with the reader. And maybe I'll just leave it at that. And anyone interested in seeing how that transpires, Uh, uh, but I I think I don't know how you feel about it, Stephanie. But uh, I think it's a little bit of an interesting uh, approach to uh, the children's book.
0: Absolutely. So these are stories that you were telling to your own children, and then you kind of forgot how they ended because probably
3: so many parents don't share. I I never forgot that because my daughter, Caroline, had me tell it hundreds, literally hundreds of times. So uh, it it was ingrained. It was burned into my brain. Um, This one wasn't really a story, but I just needed a theme. It's kind of the in-between book. And the the third book was also a story I used to tell about an Easter egg hunt, but I couldn't remember the punchline, (laughs) a good ending. So I turned into the scavenger hunt and being a science teacher, I made it a sort of a scientific uh, scavenger hunt for little kids that teaches them
0: you know, little
3: bits of biology, little bits of physics.
0: Wonderful.
3: Wonderful.
0: Please tell us a little bit about your illustrator, Lauren Sullivan. Who's
3: on oh, the thank show. you so much for asking. Lauren Sullivan, very, very talented young illustrator, happens to be my niece. And uh, we actually put the first book together during COVID as just a sort of a, fa- a surprise gift for the family. We have a huge family uh, gathering at Thanksgiving, and uh, we wanted those books ready for that and just to surprise people. And uh, the timing didn't quite work out, but uh, she's agreed to you know illustrate all three of them. And she is just um, a remarkably talented. Anyone who opens the book or sees that cover uh would agree and uh she flew she lives in LA and so we collaborated cross-country and uh probably the best decision I made was um not interfering with anything she did (laughs) I just gave her free I gave her free reign as I told her no one walked into the Sistine Chapel and told Michelangelo how to uh (laughs) how to do his painting. I just let her I let her go and it was the best decision I made and uh she flew out in May for the big children's book festival we have in Hudson, which is my former district. She'll be coming out again uh, in May of '24, and we'll have two books, which is nice. And uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's a little bit of a unique thing to have a, a family collaboration and in, and uh, in, with such a talented, you know,
0: fantastic. fantastic. I couldn't have
3: been luckier. Literally, I, literally, without without Lauren, this uh, none of this would have ever happened. So I, I owe her everything.
0: That's fabulous. And, and another COVID book. So, you know, as, as bad as COVID was, there's there's a lot of books that are going down in history as COVID books, just like yeah, there are.
3: Yeah, I, was, I, I think that was more coincidental. It was just retirement from teaching. I retired in June of 19 before, uh, you know, things went south. And uh, so it was more my, you know, my daughter pleading with me to write it now that I had the time. And it just happened to coincide with COVID.
0: Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about writing a children's book. We heard from Lolly and Catherine and writing a novel and writing a children's book, you have such different approaches. Like, I'll often say to people, children's books are so hard. You only have few words. You've got to make sure they're all good. <laughs> like there's no waste on the page with that. Um, t- tell me. How yeah,
3: it's, know. um, I don't know how to actually explain it other than it kind of just like I had the one story locked up. So that was pretty easy. Um, and, and it was a good story because it had a good ending and all good stories need 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 a good ending. And so the, the, I think the trickiest part was the ending for this book. I literally had 16 or 17 versions of the last page, which was the critical page. And uh, I finally think I got it right. um, I don't know, I I, I, my probably the favorite part of my parenting was reading stories to my kids or making up stories. And um, I got inspired by all the great children's book authors and illustrators. And uh, I don't know, it just in the case of this book, it just kind of flowed. Um, The characters were already set. Their rivalry was in place. And then having that three wish with two character two rivals just kind of fell into place and it just sort of happened. And the 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 next one is is science and that was a that was really easy for me. I just had to come up with some interesting things that uh uh scientific ideas and principles that you could convey to little kids and um so that one wasn't too hard but I, I read somewhere I think it was an article in the Atlantic A while back and it said all good stories uh, should have an element of artifice and and um, it was such a good point there's got to be some trick some twist something that just hooks a kid and I definitely had that in the first book with that ending as you know Mm
1: -hmm. and then
3: I I think I got it into this book and I'm pretty sure I have it in the last book as well so that the ending is crucial Um, you have a good. I have. I have. Fairly, I think. What are good stories? And I also have a fabulous illustrator. So absolutely, um, it's kind of just happening. I mean, I have literally no training in writing, um, other than reading endlessly, reading children's books. But um, that, that counts.
1: That, that that's <laughs> training. That
0: that's <laughs> I, absolute training. I think uh, Stephen King writes in, on writing. The number one thing you could do to improve your writing is reading.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I read That's it. Pretty. I read his book on writing. And, uh, you know, interesting at the book festival um, last May, I was invited to come into my old middle school and and read the read my book, Bears Don't Share Do, of all things, seventh graders. And I was an eighth grade science teacher and I was. Um, I was a little bit skeptical and anxious about that to see how they would, uh, you know. Take to a children's book for meant for four to six and seven and eight year olds, but uh, they were absolutely mesmerized by it, and I was um, I was more than surprised. And about two weeks later, I got a packet of illustrated thank yous from them. And uh, I generally think the seventh graders is kind of jaded, and and you know, hey, this guy's going to read us a kid the children's book. I'm thirty, dating. and
2: I still like reading children's books. So. No,
3: I have found that... <laughs> Kids in schools at any age, they get transfixed by having books read to them. Absolutely. Actually, the first one I wrote, I wrote as a teacher, and I ripped off the old um, magic school bus and did Journey to the Center of an Atom, because I was a chemistry physics teacher. And I I would read that on my, you know, smart board, and they'd see the pictures that I put together, and they they were mesmerized by it, literally, as we uh, entered the Atom and learned about all its structure so yeah it's um i don't i don't think there's really any age in fact i get uh, probably the, the feedback i've been getting from adults on the first book has been uh really remarkable they seem to like it almost as uh as much as uh as kids are, are liking it and it's a it, that one too surprised me because at the end i realized it was a bit allegorical and i um I ended up making the allegory. I don't know what happens when you make it more obvious, but I put in one line so you know kids would get it and adults would get it as well. But I get I get a lot of, a lot of uh, really good feedback from from parents that have purchased the book and read it, and, and I'm starting to see the same thing with this new book. So it's pretty well, exciting.
0: Well, certainly uh, children's literature is best when there's a layer that the adults get also. Because the adults are the ones that have to either read it, or if it's a movie or a television show, sit through it. You know, it's always best when there are layers in there for the others. And your books have those extra layers. You're not just, you know, a little cutesy rhyming scheme. There's something actually going on. I'm not surprised. Mr. Yeah,
3: I I thought this was maybe the most. I wondered if it was maybe too too layered. This new book. But uh, and I don't think so. But I, I did have a little concern that maybe it was, there's a lot going on in a little bit of space in this one. Absolutely. So we'll, well see. I, this, I was a little anxious with anything you want because um, it was an untested story. The first one I knew I had a, yeah. I just knew I had it. And this one, right. uh, uh, I think I have it. <laughs> we'll see.
0: And, and, and absolutely, well, it's funny. One of my uh, classic questions that I love to ask authors is if if I'm shopping tonight and um, I'm looking at your books here, who am I purchasing your book for? Now, Rick, if we start with you, um, what, what age do you think this is for? And what age might it stretch to? Because I'm hearing a stretch vote in there too. So tell us a little bit about that.
3: I'm thinking, probably three and three or four and up although my sister-in-law just got back from visiting her uh, granddaughter who's 16 months and she said her granddaughter rose uh asked her maybe a hundred times to read the book to her um, even though she was and i think it was she said it was the pictures of the bear more than in my writing so that's super. the kudos kudos to my uh, niece on that one but um, I think to understand the ending, and again, I don't, it's not really that direct, um, I think four and up. Okay. And okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put a an upper end to it after reading to those seventh graders who were 12. And uh, I don't know. I think even adults are going to, there's yeah. a message there for everyone.
0: I get that. I get that. And, and I think that children's books actually have a much broader range than we think because some are reading uh, having the book read to them and then other early readers love to read children's books because they can grasp right. them. So there's that. Uh, Catherine, how about you? Who should I be buying a copy of your book for today?
2: Okay, So when I wrote this, I was thinking new adult, meaning like between the ages of 18 and 25. Um, I always thought that this book read like a TV series And I compared it to you by Carolyn Kepnes because that was a book first. And then it was a series on Netflix that millennials, my generation, we loved, We love the book. We love the movie. And I'm like this, I mean, the show, this is that type of book. Well, recently a high school librarian reached out to me and said that they want to use this book for the high school reading club. And I was kind of like flabbergasted. I said, did you read it? It's a little dark. Oh no, this is perfect for high schoolers. So now I'm thinking, have I been marketing to the wrong, um, Audience at all. So now I'm saying maybe 16 and up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that anyone really could could read it. I made sure that I wrote it as an easy to follow, quick read. I think that really anyone could pick it up and read it and enjoy it. But I would say between the ages of 16 and 30 would probably be a well, very wide gap. <laughs> because we don't want you in jail. Don't buy the 16 year olds <laughs> the
1: book.
0: and Lolly, how about you with beyond sight and i see it got dark where you are that happened yeah
1: i know i should get my candles out uh get really spooky over here Yeah, no it suits the book (laughs) um i would say i mean the protagonists are 19 so i mean i think anybody from like 17 on up Mm -hmm. um, because there's some of the characters are in their 50s so Um, but I, you know, I was writing to be entertaining to sort of any age, Um, and I, and I, you know, there was a version of this that was a YA novel, and then I, I aged the protagonist because I wanted it to be, um, you know, I just wanted to appeal to an older audience, so 18 to 80. I like it,
2: I like that.
0: I love that. And uh, I think that when you start leading the ghost tours, you should have a bag of them that you can start selling to people on the ghost tour. That's just (laughs) the way. (laughs) Well, for the three of you, I loved having you today. I hope that uh, our viewers are going to snatch up these books uh, wherever you see them. Just as a reminder, Beyond Sight by Lolly Davidson, Runaway Home by Catherine Minette. And anything you want by Rick Obrick. All of them have more books in them, no doubt. So also please go to their websites, sign up, get on their mailing lists because you definitely want to keep up with them. So thanks so much for joining me Between the Covers and happy writing.
1: Thank you. Thank you.